So today with it being Mother's Day, I wanted to preach a sermon that sort of ties in with that theme of Mother's Day. So we're going to take just for today a pause from the series that, that we've been in looking at lessons from biblical figures. We'll, we'll resume that next Sunday. We'll pick back up where we left off. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing on Mother's Day, the theme of Mother's Day. And when you think of Mother's Day, certainly there's a lot that, that can come to mind. But some of the things that you naturally think of are uh, having children, right? That's what makes you a mother, right? Naturally ties in with Mother's Day. Uh, human life, right? So having children, human life. Uh, also deep love. You think of mothers and just sort of that really profound and deep love that mothers have for their children, right? So those are some things that you think of when you think of Mother's Day, and those are also biblical themes, things that Scripture talks about. And so we're going to look at those topics, again, tying in with Mother's Day. We're going to take a look at those topics that we naturally think of when we think of Mother's Day, and we're going to look at Scripture and what Scripture has to say about them. So you can open up your Bibles now. We're going to look at a bunch of passages here. And I want us first to turn to the Psalms. Psalm 127, verse 3. Actually, we're just going to read the first half of it. Uh, and here we're going to be talking about sort of having children and really the idea, too, of how are we to view children, sort of what should be our perspective. And Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And that's probably not some new passage to us. You've probably heard that. If you've been in the church long enough, long enough, you've heard that that passage cited plenty of times. Children are indeed a gift from the Lord, a, a blessing from him. But if we're honest, we sort of think of what, what's kind of the mindset of the world around us. I think this is the mindset of, of the church, certainly of New Hope Chapel, that children are a gift from the Lord. I think for many in the church in, in the U.S., that is the mindset. Children are a gift. They really are a blessing from the Lord. But if we sort of go outside the walls of the church and kind of say, well, what's the perspective of people in the world around us? I would say sort of on the surface, they might, even if they don't, acknowledge God, they would probably on the surface say, oh yeah, children, that, that they're a gift. They're, they're wonderful. That, that's great. Uh, but if you sort of dig a little bit deeper, I think uh, there's often in our world sort of a mindset of, you know, kids, they just sort of like get in the way of things. They're really an inconvenience. I just want to focus on my job, my career, my own advancement. You know, I want to go on all sorts of vacations with my spouse and kids. They're just going to sort of throw a wrench in all of those plans. And they're so expensive, the cost of everything for kids to raise a kid and then college and on and on. You know, it's just so expensive. And I feel like oftentimes the mindset isn't just like, oh, kids, what, what, a, what a blessing, what a gift they are. But often it can be sort of Quite, quite the opposite. It seems like it's viewed more as a curse rather than, than a blessing. It's sort of like they just ruin everything. Uh, and in fact, there's even a show, this is sort of a Canadian show, but you can even find it on various uh, streaming platforms. Uh, and, and the name of it is Children Ruin Everything. And that sort of highlights the mindset of, of sort of our culture and the world. Now, to be fair, in, in this show, it's not really a terrible show. It might sound terrible on the face of it, but the parents do love, love their kids, and it's generally pretty wholesome as far as TV goes these days. I've seen some episodes of it. It's sort of mildly entertaining, um, and it focuses on how children sort of change things in life. But again, even the way it's entitled kind of highlights the mindset of the culture, like kids they just ruin everything. Are they really a blessing? Are they really a gift? And so I think very much so that, that's sort of the mindset, even if they, people wouldn't openly say that because that just sort of sounds rude to someone who's had a kid like, hey, your kid's a curse, just wanted to let you know. Uh, people don't say that on the surface, but I think that can be underneath sort of 
how people view children often. They just sort of get in the way of plans. They, you know, they make messes. I, no thanks, I'll, I'll pass. Uh, but, but we need to have the right perspective. And, and again, I think we do. It's not like it's something I need to belabor here at New Hope Chapel. I think we really do view children as a true gift and blessing from the Lord. But again, thinking of children, having children, I want to sort of continue with this theme and what Scripture says about it. We want to have that right perspective with regard to children, their gift, their blessing. They're not just some problem. Yes, kids change things. That's a reality. But they're not just this horrible problem and curse. They're a blessing from the Lord. Uh, but continuing on with that theme of, of having children, I want to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And here's what it says. God blessed them, speaking of mankind, Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Right? And this is actually, if you read through, you can start at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and just sort of read through. This is, this is still in chapter 1. This is the first command that's actually recorded, given to mankind. Even before you get to, you know, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't, don't, don't eat that fruit. Even before you get there, we get this command. And, and what is it, right? It is, be fruitful and increase in number. He goes on, then also fill the earth, subdue it, etc. Uh, but that first command, be fruitful and increase in number, be fruitful and multiply, various translations, both, both good. Uh, and again, this is a general command for, for mankind. I don't want to sort of harp on this in any sort of legalistic way. I want to make sure people understand. Uh, but, but the reality is this is something mankind in a general way is commanded to do, to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to increase in number, fill the earth. Uh, and I think oftentimes the mindset, again, not just in this case of, of the world around us that sort of says, oh, children, they're a problem. Who wants to have them? But I think oftentimes even within the church is sort of this like one and done or one, and, one or two and done. Like, let me have my one or two kids. But again, they kind of like throw a wrench into things, so I'm done after two or one, no thanks. And again, if you just sort of do basic math, like if, if you're having one child, you're not increasing in number, you're not even replacing yourself and your spouse, right? You're decreasing in number. If you have two, you're just sort of staying even. If you're really increasing in number, that's three or more kids. And again, this isn't a legalism of everyone has to have three or more kids. That's what scripture is clearly saying here. That, that's by no means what I mean. But rather, in a general sense for mankind, we are commanded to be fruitful and increase in number, and we should seek to do that as, as the Lord's people. Uh, and if you even just look at sort of the statistics in, in really most of the developed world, the Western world, um, the U.S., Europe, etc., cetera, uh, the birth rates are very low to the extent that, that if it weren't for immigration, we would be decreasing in number in the U.S. We're not increasing, right? We have immigrants coming in, so the population does keep going up. But if that weren't the case, we would be decreasing in number. We wouldn't be multiplying. And I would say often that's the case even within the church, where, again, maybe we just sort of have our two kids, then we're done staying even. That's sort of a, a common mindset, rather than recognizing that this is, again, not in a legalistic way, but in a general way for mankind as a whole, a, a command to, to live out, to seek to fill the earth, to multiply. Now, some might say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Steve, but, but is that like in Adam and Eve's day, early on in the life of history of mankind, when 
there were just two, and then, you know, a few more and a few more, and they hadn't filled the earth. By now, we have filled the earth, so do we really need to keep increasing in number? And I'd say, yeah, to a significant extent, we have filled the earth, but I wouldn't say we've totally filled the earth. There's still plenty of empty space for us to live in and expand and continue to, to fill the earth, and, and as it goes on, and subdue it and rule over it and so forth and so on. And so I think we're absolutely still in the stage of we ought to be increasing in number more and more. Now, I want to speak to the fact that God has a, has a specific plan for each and every one of us. You can think of plenty of examples, whether it's someone like Paul. It wasn't Paul's calling to, to the Apostle Paul to be fruitful and multiply and have his three-plus children. God had a different plan for him not to even be married, not to reproduce, but to be totally devoted to the work that God had for him. So again, this isn't for everyone. I don't want you to think that that's what I'm saying. Some people can't have children, even though they would love to have kids. That's just, they, they can't, and that's not God's plan for them, and that's fine. There could be others who'd say, I'd love to have four kids or 10 kids or whatever, but financially, like, I, I can't. I need to be able to put food on the table, so it's just one or two. Again, that's fine. That, again, it, it's not this legalism of everyone has to by any means. God could call a couple, you know, to, to, to not have kids. Maybe he has some plan for them on the mission field, and it's just not a place for kids and to be more devoted to serving him. And so even if they could, maybe God's plan for them isn't to have kids. Again, this can be different for each and every individual. But I would say our default position, unless we sort of feel like God just has other plans for us, our default position should be to seek to live this out and seek to multiply. Again, which mathematically would mean three or more. But again, God has a distinct plan for each and every one of us. Don't think this is some legalistic thing I'm pushing where anyone here who doesn't have three or more kids, I'm criticizing by no means. Again, God has a different plan. But just in a general way, we should seek and desire to multiply collectively uh, as human beings, as the Lord's people. Um, but again, not a legalism. Don't, I don't want anyone to take that the wrong way. But so thus far, we've talked about children are a blessing from, from the Lord. That's how we ought to view children, not as sort of, oh, children ruin everything, you know, that sort of a mindset. Children are a gift, a blessing from the Lord. Uh, generally speaking, again, as we talked about, not in some legalistic way for everyone, but just collectively, we ought to seek as, as human beings to be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. But now I want to turn uh, just a little later in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to read verses 5 and 6 and address the, the topic of human life and its worth, its value in the sight of God. So Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, God speaking says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Right now I realize this has to do with murdering and punishment for murder, but, but here what we, what we see in this context is God deeply valuing human life, right? That, that's to sort of paraphrase what's being said here, God is saying, I've made mankind in my own image, and mankind has such great worth in my sight, and I value human life, I value people so much that if anyone were to, to dare and, and snuff out a life too soon and take a life, only sort of the highest punishment would be appropriate and due. And so that person's life ought to be given. They ought to be put to death. They should pay for what they've done with their own life. Again, this is God showing his great valuing of human life. He has made man in his image. He deeply values human life. It is of great worth to him. And again, therefore, if anyone were to go and take it, just what a grievous offense that is, that only just that, that highest punishment, capital punishment would do. Their life ought to be forfeit 
and they should be executed for what they have done, right? So we see here just God's great valuing of life. Again, only the highest punishment will do if you dare to take it, this deep valuing of, of, of human life, of great worth in God's sight. And of course, right, we ought to value humans and human life as, as God does. It, it, human life is of great value and worth in God's sight, and we ought to greatly value human life. Right? And naturally, if we're talking about human life and its value and its worth, sort of in, in our context this day and age, the natural question that sort of pops up, again, thinking sort of culturally and just sort of the reality of things in our world today is, well, when does human life begin? If we're to greatly value human life and it has great worth, and again, we shouldn't dare to end a human life, and if that were to happen, the just punishment is, is for them to, to give their own lives and be executed, right? Well, when does human life Begin And the reality is, no matter who you ask, whether we, you go to Scripture, and, and that's our ultimate authority, and we're going to go to Scripture and say, from, from a biblical standpoint, and there are plenty of Scriptures, we're just going to look at one, but that highlight, well, when does life begin? And the answer is upon conception. But also, even if you were someone who says, you know, I, I don't really view Scripture as God's Word. For those outside the church, you might say, yeah, whatever the Bible says, that doesn't mean anything to me. Even if you were to ask any scientist, the scientific community, well, when does human life begin? Again, it's a unanimous answer. It's quite clear. It's upon conception. That's when a new human life is, is, is created, this new human life there. That, that's when human life starts, upon conception. But let's, again, look at Scripture and what Scripture says here. And this is Exodus uh, 21, verses 22 through 25. And it says, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and her children come out, and the meaning of that is sort of like if her child or children, if she has twins, if, if they come out prematurely, like, you know, this is as a result of being struck and hit, something goes wrong, and, and the children come out prematurely. If people are fighting and, and hit a pregnant woman and her children come out, but there is no serious injury, so if this case where there's no real serious injury, still this to be a consequence, but it's not that great. If there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined, whatever the woman's husband demands, and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, right, so if this pregnant woman is struck, her child, children come out prematurely, and in this case, if there is serious injury, this is the prescription, what, what should be done. You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, right? And I wanna particularly focus in on the life for life. Because right there, implicitly, what's being said is that unborn child is a life, right? That is a, a human life even before actually being born, right? Again, upon conception. So that, that baby in the mother's womb, in the uterus, that is a human life. And if you strike this woman and wind up taking that life, right? That child then comes out prematurely and is dead. You have taken that life, right? So affirming that that unborn baby is alive. Then again, what is prescribed? What's the punishment? You're to be killed. You're to be executed right? Life for life. And again, if there were some other complication, but the baby didn't quite die, then it should be a proportional punishment. That's where you get the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. But again, quite clearly, this unborn child and this, this, this uh, command here speaking to if you have a pregnant woman and is struck and that, that unborn baby winds up dying, clearly affirmed that is a human life, quite clearly, unambiguously, right? Scripture is quite clear. Life begins at conception. That is the reality. It's biblical. We see it here. Uh, we see it other places in Scripture. It is quite clear. And again, the reason I address this is just the reality of, of abortion. We talked about Clearway in the announcements a bit, 
Um, and so I, I sort of want to tie that in a little bit as well. But we, we live in a world where the reality is abortion is rampant. It's rampant in our country and uh, in, in other countries as well. Uh, you know, and just sort of going back to when Roe v. Wade first came about, I know now that's been overturned and things are at the state level, but still many states still have uh, legalized abortion to varying degrees and so forth. But uh, on average, it's about ballpark a million unborn babies since Roe v. Wade, going back to, to the 70s, about a million unborn babies a year that are killed. And again, clearly, just apply Exodus 21 here, verses 22 to 25, What's happening? Well, you have this unborn life and someone's going and killing it. And again, what's the prescription? It's you're to pay life for life. That's the reality. It's saying this unborn baby is a human life. You've taken that life and you should pay the highest punishment and pay with your own life. And yet tragically in our country, all across the globe as well, abortion is just still this, this rampant reality. Children are just murdered, uh, unborn babies at, at just a, a terrible rate. It, it's tragic. It's horrible. Uh, and again, we as the Lord's people ought to recognize, as we talked about in Genesis chapter 9, just how much God truly values human life. It's of great worth in his sight. And again, and it begins at conception. And so we ought to greatly value human life, all human life, from conception to the very end. Right? We ought to value human life and advocate for it. And one of the ways we can advocate for human life, and here in the context of sort of unborn human life, is supporting ministries like Clearway Clinic. We have this baby bottle campaign, a fundraiser uh, campaign for them. You can participate in that and, and help to support them as they're uh, lovingly supporting uh, pregnant women and, again, helping them to make the right choice to, to keep their baby rather than to have an abortion. But I want to continue on as well. We've talked about you know, children as a gift, a blessing from the Lord, uh, talked about being fruitful, multiplying. We've talked about valuing, greatly valuing and respecting human life. And again, from conception, from the beginning of, of human life. Uh, but another thing, as I mentioned at, at the outset of the sermon, that we naturally think of when we think of Mother's Day is just that great, deep love that mothers have for their children. And again, that's a wonderful biblical theme, the topic of love and, and particularly great, profound, deep love. As we think of you know, love and, and the perfect example of love, we think of Christ Jesus, of course. That's naturally what ought to come to our mind, just his wondrous love for us that, that drove him to go to a cross on our behalf to take our place, our sin, our punishment, pay for our sin in full, so that if we just repent and believe, we're forgiven, we're saved, we have everlasting life. I mean, what wondrous love for us that, that Christ would do that, would suffer that, hang on a cross for us. Again, it should, that kind of love should just sort of blow our minds. And then, again, thinking of that love of Christ for us, now we read John 13, 34. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another, and then he goes on, he clarifies this love that we're to have for one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, right? So he sets the standard. He says, as I've loved you, just so mind-blowingly, greatly, deeply sacrificing of myself, going to a cross for you to save you, rescue you from your sin. That's how I've loved you. And now you're to love one another in that same Christ-like way. That's how you're to love one another. And certainly the picture here of one another is, is he's talking to his disciples within the body of Christ. But, but it's not to say it's exclusively within the body of Christ. But of course, that also extends outside the body of Christ, that we're to love all people in a Christ-like way as he 
has loved us. We're, we're to love one another. We're to love those outside the church in a Christ-like way. We're to love our families, our children, right? We're to love our friends, our, our co-workers, our neighbors, on and on, even our enemies, whether you think of maybe national enemies or as Christians, those who persecute us and hate us just for following Christ, we're to love them as, as well. Or maybe it's sort of like that enemy in your workplace who just like has it out for you and is mean and nasty and miserable, even that person, right? We're to love all people, our enemies, our friends, our neighbors, you name it. We are to love all people in a Christ-like way. Right, that's what we're called to do. And I want to kind of come back and summarize it. I know we've talked about a variety of points, but I want to make sure we really get this all. Thinking of Mother's Day, thinking of these themes that tie in with Mother's Day, I want us to have the right view of children in a world that more and more kind of casts children aside and says they're just a problem, they just get in the way, right? Let's view them rightly as scripture tells us to, as truly a gift from the Lord, truly a blessing from Him. Again, I want us to, to understand that generally speaking, not in a legalistic way, but we ought to seek to, to multiply and increase in number. It's God's plan for mankind. We ought to seek to live that out. But again, not in a legalistic way. God might have a different plan for you, and that's great, and that's fine. I also want us to, to greatly value human life and, and really have a great respect for human life. And again, all human life, and that begins with conception and really to advocate for human life as well as we're able to. And then lastly, as we talked about, I just wanna see us as God's people loving one another deeply. Again, seeing that perfect example of Christ, what, what Christ-like love looks like, him heading to a cross for us, that wondrous, deep, profound, mind-blowingly great love, sacrificing of himself in the greatest way imaginable for us. And then we're called to go and love others in that way and, and to seek to live that out faithfully. And so I just want to challenge us to, to hear the application, to live this all out faithfully in service to the Lord, that we might better honor him, serve him, and glorify him in our lives. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, on this Mother's Day, we do want to thank you for moms. They're a gift. They're a blessing. Thank you for them. And we want to certainly acknowledge all that we talked about, these themes that, that, that are biblical themes, but naturally tie in with Mother's Day as well. May we certainly view children as a blessing, as we talked about, in a world that more and more seems to view children in quite the opposite way. May we not follow the ways of the world, and may we truly view children as a gift from you, which is what they are, a gift, a blessing from you. May we recognize that, that, again, generally as mankind, we do have a calling to multiply, increase in number, fill the earth. And it's not like that's done and accomplished. There's still much filling to do, and not in a legalistic way. But, but again, as your people, may we collectively seek to, to live that out and multiply. And Lord, also, we recognize how greatly you value human life. We read of it in, in Genesis chapter 9 how human life is of great worth in your sight. And, and may we understand that and ourselves greatly value human life. And that's all human life from the very beginning, uh, from conception. And may we value human life. May we advocate for human life, especially in a world that seems not to respect in many ways human life, or at least all human life. May we seek to value and advocate for it every step of the way, Lord. And then may we recognize that we are called to love all others, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, family, neighbors, 
coworkers, people we just bump into, even our enemies, we're called to love all others deeply, profoundly, as you have loved us. And that is a tall order. We know we're not going to live that out perfectly in this life, but, but may we seek to grow in love for others day after day after day. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. We need that transformation on the inside. Cultivate and grow within us more and more each and every day a greater love for others that we might better reflect your love, Lord Jesus, in the world, that we might be better witnesses for you, that we might better serve you and honor you and glorify you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.